Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam, Hilchis Bikurim, Laws of the First Fruits and Related Obligations, the balance of the Kohen's gifts, the 24 gifts. We are studying the laws of Challah. Challah represents the first of the dough that is given to the Kohen. The dough is a daily activity. People bake bread daily. So the, one of the main gifts the Kohen got was he got a nice piece of dough from every dough that was baked in every home as well as in every bakery. Aleph. What if somebody purchases bread from a bakery? So the commentaries say, what's the problem? We learned earlier that the bakery has to give. But what if the bakery didn't give? The bakery says to the customer, I did not give challah. So the answer is, the customer has to give challah. Has to give the first piece of dough to the coin. Now, the laws of how to do it are more liberal than, for example, truma. We can take from warm bread and give challah for the cold bread. And from the cold bread for the warm bread. Even from many different shapes. And a different shape would represent that it was made from different wheat or so on. Nevertheless, it's okay. Clearly speaking, the mitzvah of challah only applies to the five major species of grain. And they are hachitin v'asedim, the two biggies are wheat and barley. And then, v'hakusmin shibeleshuel v'hashifain. This is translated in different places, in different ways. Rye, oats, and spelt. Some say spelt, oats, and rye. Shenemar, as it says, ba'acholchem milechem ha'oretz, as you eat from the bread of the land, ve'en kori lechem, pasanasis me'elo. And what is considered bread? Stuff that's made from these materials. For example, these are the same species of grains from which we're allowed to make matzah. If somebody makes bread out of rice, or millet, or other legumes, other beans, Minakitnius of the bean family, the legume family, ain't chayovim There's no obligation for chala whatsoever. Chala is only from these five grains. Now we learned earlier that when the poor man takes his gifts to the poor from the field, when the poor man takes his gifts from the field, we learned earlier that there's no obligation. For truma, or miser, or the other tithes. Now he says, What if the poor man has collected these gifts? That which was forgotten, the corners, that which, the, the, the gleamings. The ahefker, that which was left ownerless. 
Or we learned earlier another exemption of truma is if the produce was not a third or more mature. So here the Rambam brings out an important point. Although the above list is clearly exempt from truma, as we said earlier, one might think they're exempt from chala as well. The answer is no. Chayovim bechala, they are obligated in chala. Bechain and so also, my serishin, in the case of the first tithe, where we learned earlier, sometimes the farmer, sheigdimu bashibolim, separates and sets aside the first tithe while it was still on the stalks, avoiding the truma obligation, shenitla truma say. Yet the Trumas Meiser was taken from it. Even though the regular Truma was not taken from it because it didn't reach the point where that obligation kicked in. That's another scenario where Truma would not be obligated, but as we're about to say, Chala will. Or the second tithe, or consecrated foods which were redeemed. And the leftover of the Omer, we're preparing the Omer offering, there's leftover barley. The leftover of the two breads of Shavuos. The lechem upon him, the leftover of the showbreads. When all of the leftover materials will be redeemed, all of the above may not be obligated in Truma, but you're going to eat it now, right? You're making a dough out of all of this. You must set aside the chala. Chala is a different ballgame. The rules of what kicks in the obligation for chala are different than that which kicks in the obligation for truma. That's the gist of law number three. Four. What if the Jew brought his second tithe to be spent and consumed in Jerusalem? Does that need chala? The isas shvius or the dough of the sabbatical year. Usafik medumor, where there's a doubt whether the dough was made of a mixture of truma and ordinary produce. All of the above, chayovim bechala, are obligated with chala. Why? Again, because it's your food and you're about to eat it. You're baking bread, you have to have chala. However, a mixture of truma and ordinary produce, which is clearly that, is exempt. And he points out here that this only applies when this would be a rabbinic obligation, but if it would be a Torah, chala obligation would not be exempt. <coughs> Along the same lines, hey, five chalas teda. The loaves of the toda, the korban toda, the thanksgiving offering, as we learn in the Chumash, there are many loaves brought with the thanksgiving offering. Not to be confused with the turkey in November, that's a different thanksgiving offering. This is an offering to say thank you to Hashem, like we do the gomel today, or the kike nozir, or the wafers for the nozir. Do they need challah taken from them? If somebody produced it for himself, then being that it's a sacrifice, it's exempt from chala. Because they're holy. And holy objects are not required 
to have challah taken from them. But But if somebody is making them to sell them on the street so that customers can use them for Nazarite obligations or Toda obligations, then this person who is preparing this batch, Chayovim Bechala, he is obligated to take challah. Why? He's making this for holy foods. The answer is Lapisha Bedate, because he's in business. In his mind, if he sells it to the Nazir and Toda customers, great. But if not, if he won't, he'll eat it on his own. And therefore, to the very, in the very beginning, he has to give challah. What if somebody has a partnership in a dough? Is, does that have a challah obligation? Or, if somebody is making a dough for a large group of people, and again, we're not talking about somebody who created his dough ownerless, but somebody who's making a dough for a large group of people. All of those are chayeves bechala, obligated in chala. Zayin, ha'isa isa minatevel. What if somebody is preparing a dough from grain that has not had truma taken from it, called tevel? Whether the challah is coming before the truma, or the truma came before the challah, what is done is done, even though there is an order. Truma should clearly come before challah, but what's done is done. But if he did set aside the challah first, it should not be eaten, until he also removes the truma, Offering and the Trumas Meister offering, because again, that is biblically liable for punishment by death. But if he did the Truma first, then he shouldn't eat it until the Chala is taken off. Another very serious obligation. Chala, we learn from certain perspectives, is as serious as Truma. Therefore, no matter what you did do and didn't do, before you eat it, you got to do both. <laughs> Moving right along in different scenarios, what if somebody prepares a dough and this dough is going to be making food to feed it to animals? I guess they call it nowadays animal crackers. Just kidding. For domestic animals, for wild animals, he's exempt because it's not human food. It's animal food. What about somebody who prepares a dough to bake for his dogs? Dog food? You know, the dogs go with the shepherd to help shepherd the sheep. But the dogs don't want to work unless you feed them. So you're baking a dough, probably with lower quality ingredients for the dogs. Or maybe higher quality ingredients. A dog is man's best friend. Very often, the dough that is preparing, that is prepared for the dogs, the shepherds also eat from it. So if the shepherds are eating from the dog dough, then of course you need to take challah. Shepherds are people too. However, if the dough is a dough made by a non-Jew, non-Jews don't have the obligation of challah. So that is Ptura exempt test. The plot thickens. What if a Jew and a non-Jew were partners in a dough? 
So it really depends as to whether the Jews' portion had the minimum requirement for challah. Because you don't take a little tiny piece of dough and have to take challah from it. There's a minimum size. And we're going to talk about minimum size. What if a non-Jew set aside challah? Even in Israel, the non-Jew says, listen, I think you guys have a wonderful precept. I want to do it too. It's wonderful, but it's not called challah. We let him know in the, most, in the nicest, most loving way. It's just not necessary. It's not his mitzvah. And therefore, it doesn't have the limitations of challah may be eaten by an Israelite. Now he says, Here the Rambam says a brilliant thing. Why don't we suspect, as we have in other scenarios, that the Jew gave his dough to the non-Jew, asked the non-Jew to say it's his dough, <coughs> it's really the Jew's dough. But the Jew is hiding beyond the, behind the non-Jew to get away with it. And we have had this suspicion in other scenarios. Why aren't we doing that? <coughs> and therefore, one would require the non-Jew's dough to have challah taken from it. The answer is, Shem in the case of challah, there's a minimum requirement of raw material. There's a minimum size dough before the mitzvah of challah kicks in. And if a Jew wants to get away without giving challah, Yifter Atzmi can exempt himself simply by making it under the size of requirement. Even though to do that intentionally is not permissible to break something up into two parts, so you're not obligated to give challah. Nevertheless, if somebody wants to cheat, that's an easier way of cheating. Therefore, we're not concerned when the non-Jew says it's his dough. We believe him, and we politely and lovingly explain to him that challah is not something that's his mitzvah. (laughs) What if we take wheat, (coughs) flour from wheat, which is obligated in challah, flour from rice, which is not obligated in challah, we also some. We make a combined dough. So the question is: Is this wheat and is it obligated, or is it rice and is it exempt? Im yesh patam dogon. If the wheat has a taste, if you taste the wheat, wheat has a very powerful taste. Then chayev is bechala. Then it's obligated in chalavim lav. And if not, ptura, it is exempt. So it's the: Do you feel the wheat? Do you taste the wheat? That's the criterion. Afila hoyahas erchitim even if somebody placed yeast from wheat into a dough of rice, and yeast we know is a very powerful ingredient, but in yesh patam dogon, here we're not concerned with powerful, here we're concerned with taste. Does it taste like grain? Chayev is it's obligated. V'chalav, if it doesn't taste like grain, petura, then it is exempt from challah. Yud Beis, moving right along, Esau, though, Sheni which was needed with other liquids other than water, Beyayin, either wine, 
a shaman. You want to know why you get high on the challah? It's because it's made with uh, alcohol, with wine. A shaman or oil, a dvash or some kind of honey or fruit juice. A mayim reischim or boiling water rather than fresh water. A shenosan l'seichat volin or spices were injected. Or he boiled water and he placed the dough in it. So it became, I guess, like a donut or something like that. Bottom line is, if he baked any of the above, bein batan or whether in a oven, bein bekarker on the ground, bein or he did it in a skillet or a deep pan, frying, deep frying pan, whether he took the dough and stuck it to the skillet or to the frying pan then he heated it with flame from below until it was properly baked or he used the boiling water or he heated it he preheated the skillet and then put the dough on all of the above all of the above do have the obligation for challah, since ultimately the dough was baked, even though no water was put into it, even though the fact that the water was first boiled, all of the above has the requirement of challah because it was baked. But on the other hand, if somebody prepares a dough just to dry it, have it sun-dried, sun-baked, as we will learn this halacha here, baking in the sun is very lovely, but halachically it's not baking. A big data, or going to cook it in a pot. You're not baking it, you're cooking it. You're making dumplings. You're cooking matzo bowls. These would be not obligated for challah. And because baking in the sun is not considered bread, whether you needed it with water, or you needed it with other liquids. And similarly speaking, uh, if you have parched, roasted grain that was uh, prepared, kneaded with water, a bidvash, or with uh, honey, or other people interpret dvash as fruit juice, and you cook it without baking, potter is exempt. Because in the end, what is obligated is something that's going to be a normal bread, which people consider bread. What if the dough was prepared to bake it in the sun? And in the end, he says, nah, why bake it in the sun? I'll bake it in my oven. So, sun-baked is not considered bread. Oven-baked is. This one you intended to begin with, to have it sun-baked. Later you change your mind. Where does that fit in? Does this have a challah requirement? He began to bake bread. In the end, he says, nah, I'm not going to use the oven. I'm going to use the sun. Or roasted flour was needed to bake a loaf of bread. 
all of these are obligated for challah. Yudalad lechem also, lekusach, what if bread is made to be used for kusach or kutach? We learned earlier that kutach is a mixture of whey, milk product, and bread crumbs, which was used as a dip. So it had like yogurt or milk, bread crumbs. Now the question is, the bread that's baked for this kusach, does this require challah to be taken from it? Being that you're preparing a dip. So the end result, the manner in which it's made, will indicate the intent. If you made it like cakes of bread, then you do need to take challah. Because they are like rolls, like breads. But if you made it like strips, which will be cut and simply placed in this dip, then it's exempt. Now we come to the biggie. What is the minimum measure of dough from which we're obligated to separate challah? An entire omer of flour. Whether from one of the five above mentioned grains or from a combination of all five grains, they all combine. What is the size of an omer? He says here, one fifth of a cob less than two cobbin. One fifth of a cob, less two cobbin. The hakab, what's a cob? Arba lugin. Four lugin. What's a lug? Valoig arba rebius. Four fourth parts. What's a rebius? When we talk about rebius, we mean rebius. Hahin, a fourth part of a log. A revius and a revius is etz ba'ayim, al etz ba'ayim, berumba etz ba'ayim. Two finger, a cube of two finger breadths by two finger breadths by a height of two. Vachatsi etz ba b'chemish etzra. Two and seven tenths finger breadths. Vachol ho etz boys, what's a finger breadth? Hemreichab gudu is the width of a thumb, shalyad of the hand. So therefore, this all teaches us that a measure that has 10 finger breaths by 10 finger breaths by a height of 3.9 finger breaths, who that's a omer. similarly speaking, midah measure. A cube. A cube with each side being six and seven ninths finger breaths produces a measure of an omer. And they both go together. Now, the kama mechila midazu, how much does this contain volume wise? This is the famous measure 43 and one fifth eggs volume. Behem, this would be equivalent to 
Mishkal, the weight of Shisha or Shmeinim Sloyim or Shnei Shlisi Sela, Mikem Achitim Shabim Mitzrayim, of 86 and two thirds Sloyim of Egyptian wheat flour. Shehem, which represents Mishkal Chamesh Meyes Vesrim Zuz, Mizuzim Mitzrayim Bismanazeh, says the Rambam in his time, it's the equivalent of 520 Zuz of Egyptian Zuzim. At present, nowadays, nowadays is the Rambam's days. And this is the measure. Please pass me the chumash with the measurements there. That's where we measure chala across the board. Now, if anybody is interested, I'll give you some modern day measures in American measures. Omer is 2.61 quarts. A kav is 1.45 quarts. A lug is 11.63 ounces. A beitza is 1.94 ounces. I'm taking this from the back of the kahot chumash, where they have a chart of measures, and these are the most up-to-date measures that I'm aware of, uh, published by Chabad. So this is why I prefer to use this chumash there are also, of course, differing opinions. Okay, test Zion 16. It's forbidden for a person to intentionally cut down and avoid this minimum. In order to exempt it. I guess there's a similar law in the United States where if you, if you do something with cash of $10,000 and over, the bank has to report it to make sure there's no money laundering going on. If you come in with $9,900, then the bank has to report you because you look like you're avoiding that. So it's also forbidden to avoid it. There is a minimum of challah, and is also forbidden to intentionally avoid that minimum. A classical example would be splitting it into two. So if you come into a bank with $9,900 and $9,900, they're going to report you. That's what the law mandates. I think it's a mirror law here. I'm not sure what mirror is what. Okay. So again, 16, because it's forbidden for a person to create his dough to intentionally avoid the minimum. On the other hand, a person will say, listen, I'm not trying to avoid anything. This is what I have. I have just under the omer. I'll give chala. That's not chala. Because you didn't have the minimum. Then it's just everyday produce. Here's another scenario. A person did not quite make the minimum, baked bread, put it in a basket, and then made another dough, baked bread, and put it in the basket. In Meskavis Basal Shir Chala, and then ultimately the basket has the, the minimum or more. Hasal Mitzar from the Chala. The basket can cause that minimum to exist. Or Mafresh Chala Minapas, and you can set aside Chala now. 
as an obligation from the bread. shall come to pass. when you eat. from the bread of the land. So it's not only dough, it's also bread. Malamed just teaches us that not only is the mitzvah of challah there at the dough stage, but if one did not do it at the dough stage, it's also there at the bread stage. He gives it from the baked as well. However, the oven will not combine them. If you have a lot of different breads in the oven, no, that doesn't count. The oven is an oven. <laughs> what if there were loaves and they were touching one another? Then the touching combines it. They're obligated in challah even though they're not in a basket. If he baked it, poquito, poquito, little by little. And he gathered it all on a board that doesn't have a cavity. It's a flat, flattish board. In, co- in contrast to a basket mentioned earlier, this one is like a flat tray. We're not sure. He, therefore, if it's a rabbinic obligatory chala, she's not obligated to set aside chala. Until you have that vessel which has depth. What if flour was not sifted, which is a basic requirement for flour. But instead, this was kneaded together with its bran. I guess these days they would say it's healthier. Being that all together, there is in all the flour a measure of an omer, which is the minimum. He's obligated for But he took the bran from the wheat, from the flour. And then he returned the bran. By adding the bran, he now made it into the minimum. He's not obligated to challah because he already separated the flour from the bran. By returning the bran, bran is not flour. They tell an interesting story on the lighter side. There was a husband and wife who were in marital therapy. They were killing each other. What else is known? And uh, the wife is so upset at the husband. She says to the therapist, you know, my husband doesn't even know which flower is my favorite flower. Shouldn't a man know the flowers his his wife likes? He says, I do so. She says, I dare you, tell me. He says, your favorite flower is gold medal. (laughs) So that's the dough we're talking about. Okay, by the way, we, we, we mentioned briefly, and I just want to reiterate that it's a great merit to draw down blessing in one's home, baking challah is for Shabbos, and setting aside the mandatory, the mandatory portion of challah. These days we burn it in, in, the, in the oven, a little piece and so on, as is specked out in the Siddur. Yutes, nachtem, a baker, 
She also who made a dough. His intent was that this dough be become yeast, so that he's going to di- distribute it as yeast. But right now he's making a dough. He's obligated to chal. Because if he's not going to end up selling it, as we learned earlier, then he's going to just bake it and have a bread. But if somebody makes a dough to just divide it as little pieces of dough, it's exempt. The closing paragraph of chapter 6. What if women gathered together, they gave flour to a baker to create yeast for them. So there's a bunch of women that gave, each one gave a little bit. If none of the individual women gave the minimum of the Omer, even though the aggregate amount is sufficient, it's exempt because this actually belongs to a lot of different individuals, and uh, therefore that is in and of itself enough reason for exemption, because the dough is not being made to be baked as bread, but to be divided as dough, since it's being made for private individuals. The Rambam maintains that there's little likelihood that they'll change their minds and have it baked. Rather, it will be distributed as dough, etc., etc. End of chapter 6.